Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hi, guys. Today, I am sharing with you an interview that I had with Ray Senarigi. Ray Senarigi is a non-binary cancer survivor, also known as the transgender painter. He's an activist, a designer, and a muralist. And Ray is also very passionate about celebrating the representation of trans and non-binary people through his art. A few years ago, Netflix invited Ray to create portraits of transgender characters in a very, very short amount of time. In this conversation, you will hear the background story of creating those portraits. You will also hear how Ray handled his fears of losing his life to cancer, how he practices gratitude and compassion on a daily basis, and how he has developed a new relationship with his body. It was such a treat to have a chance to talk to Ray, and I hope you find this conversation inspiring as much as I did. So, without further ado, let's go to the interview. Ray, so good to have you in the Playing It Safe podcast. Thank you so much for making the time to chat with me. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here today and talk with you. What are you doing these days? My wife and I have two very small children. Uh, we've got a one-year-old and an almost four-year-old. Um, and so, you know, in a, in a summertime, we normally would have probably, you know, traveled some, you know, been distracted by summer activities. And this summer, you know, we really have stuck at home. Uh, we have um, some family members that we really want to keep safe, but we also want to keep seeing them. So we, mm-hmm. we have kept our bubble very tight. Um, and we've on, honestly just done a lot of like outdoor gardening and landscaping in our own backyard. And it's been really wonderful. It's almost been a, a way of of doing, you know, kind of self-care therapy, uh, mm-hmm. at least for me, I, I think for my wife too. Um, and it's been really fun le- that our kids like have this connection to um, nature from such an early age. Like our little one-year-old will like crawl right to the, <laughs> to the garden <laughs> bed and pick out all the ripe strawberries. And she loves tomatoes. She'll eat a wow. tomato like an apple. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that's been, um, you know, a way to kind of deal with the stress of what's happening, but by just like being outside um, and also mm-hmm. like getting some exercise. Um, so it, it, it's been 
I, honestly, it's it's been kind of wonderful time too with our kids that I don't think I would have had, you know, without being stuck at home. So <laughs> I've been doing that a lot. I also work a full time job. I try to do my fine art. I'm doing events. Um, so it is very busy as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you sound very busy. I do appreciate a lot how, in the midst of a very strange, bizarre time that we're living, you managed to actually found some gems, like spending time outdoors, creating your art. And when I think about the work you have been doing in so many areas of your life, the word that stands out to me is courage, how you have managed to face challenging situations in your life. And I'm wondering if we can chat a little bit about them. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Courage is um, a a strong theme for us to talk about, for sure. (laughs) Um, Go ahead. When you look back at a time when you were a teenager in your early 20s, what are the things that your mind was telling you that you couldn't do, that you couldn't have, that you shouldn't approach? Because sometimes our mind is trying to protect us and comes with the stories that we are not good enough, we are not worthy enough. And I'm curious how it was for you at a very young age to handle those stories? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, honestly, Growing up, I was um, really not able to be my full self, right? I was in a very, very sheltered environment. Um, I did receive a lot of love and acceptance from my my mother before she died, but she died when I was 11. Mm. Um, and that itself was, was really difficult, obviously, to deal with. Um, and so like, as a young adult and as a teenager, um, especially in grade school, middle school, high school, I really just kind of, you know, tried to be a wallflower, just like, you know, disappear and really not call attention to myself. Um, And I, looking back on it, I just think I was in kind of survival mode because Mm -hmm. I did not, I knew that something about me was, was different than what I was supposed to be. I was, you know, um, constantly trying to fit in, um, in a way that now makes sense as I understand myself as a transgender non-binary person, but I didn't have any language for that or any context. Um, and so I just kind of tried to, to fly under the radar. Um, and that was my coping mechanism. Um, I also mm-hmm. just focused on the, the things that did bring me some joy, which was always art. Um, it was also, um, you know, the, the sports where it was like, I, I could compete on a team, but really competing with myself. So I really liked cross country. I liked track, um, because those things, um, were really about me, um, Mm -hmm. just competing with myself and making my time better each time. And so, um, a lot of that kind of put me into an isolation Mm -hmm. mode. Um, so I'm actually, you know, quite comfortable just working, uh, you know, in my studio alone all the time right now, Mm -hmm. um, because I (laughs) I did spend a lot of time as a kid doing that. And then when I, um, when I was like maybe 18 senior in high school, I started kind of coming out of my shell. I started meeting people. Um, I discovered that I, you know, belonged to the LGBTQ community and it was Mm -hmm. very exciting. Um, there was a lot of growth that happened there and a lot of learning. And, you know, when I got into my early twenties and and started having a better grasp on the world that I was living in, 
what I know now that I was struggling with that I probably wouldn't have been able to articulate then was that I was dealing with a lot of self-hatred, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't face that until I was in my thirties and I um, came down with cancer. And I had the realization when I was looking at, you know, okay, here's my plan uh, with my doctors of like what I'm going to do to treat this cancer, right? Mm -hmm. And I had a, I had a surgery date. I had all this stuff kind of coming up and I had this realization that my whole life I had been like looking in the mirror. And again, my, my reasoning for doing this is very complicated, um, but for other folks, we all kind of deal with these body images that are placed on us by outside things like our expectations of what you're supposed to look like, um, all of the advertising that we're bombarded with, like all of us deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, mine happened to be more complicated about gender identity, but um, I just had this realization that I had been sending hate to my body. Mm-hmm. Every time I saw myself in a mirror or caught a reflection, I would like see myself, but like only see the parts that I thought were wrong, the parts that I just didn't like or was struggling with about my body. Like those are the things that I would focus on almost Mm -hmm. exclusively. Right. And having that realization and then looking at like, okay, I'm going to try and be really kind to my body. I'm going to try and beat cancer and survive. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like I'm, I'm never going to do that again. I am not going to send hate to my body because like, how am I going to heal my body? while hating it, you know, like that just Mm -hmm. didn't make any sense to me. And it was such a stark, um, immediate realization that was so powerful, um, Mm -hmm. that it really shifted how I look at myself. Um, and today, you know, I still struggle with, um, body image stuff. That's, that's, Mm -hmm. uh, probably something that doesn't just magically go away overnight because you decide it does it's like a, it's like a practice. Right. And so like now when I, when I hear those kind of unkind messages in my own head, Mm -hmm. I'm able to, to recognize them and stop them and like replace them with a, with a message of love. Um, I was having a really hard day, honestly, yesterday Mm -hmm. and it had nothing to do with my body image, but I decided to like, you know, do some stretching and just like kind of take some deep breaths. And then I just meditated on, um, sending love to, random parts of my body, like my hands and my wrists and my elbows. And, and it, it, I spent maybe 10, 10 minutes doing that, but it really calmed me down on a day where I was feeling uh, pretty overwhelmed with anxiety and all kinds of things that had nothing to do with my body. But that, that practice of sending love to my body um, just put me into a better headspace. Um, And that's something that I've, that I've practiced honestly, since going through that cancer treatment having that realization is um, finding a gratitude practice and specifically Mm -hmm. finding a gratitude practice around my own, my own physical body and being grateful for whatever it is that I do have access to today. Mm -hmm. My mind right now is trying to go in so many directions. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you have shared so many gems of your experience and if it's okay, let me ask a little bit more about this moment when you hear about the diagnosis of cancer, you realize that your mind is coming with very unhelpful thoughts, unhelpful narratives, unhelpful stories. How did you realize that's not helpful? I'm actually just doing something that's not helpful to me in this moment. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, it kind of brings me to the day that I found out that I had cancer. 
Um, mm -hmm. That unusual day, it's something that I normally would have processed immediately with my doctor and with my like closest partner, which is my wife. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually found it myself. I found the, the, you know, it was a very hard lump that was, you know, not, so, I, I could tell right away when I found mm -hmm. it, I found it when I was stretching mm -hmm. and I had spent years as a medical illustrator. I worked in radiology clinics. Like I knew exactly what it was like immediately, but it was a Saturday mm -hmm. and my doctor, like I, I called and left her a voicemail, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to talk to her until Monday. Mm -hmm. And then my wife happened to be um, not only out of town, but like out of state Mm -hmm. uh, at this retreat that she had been looking forward to for like a year. <laughs> and so I knew that like, even if I called her and managed to get a hold of her at the retreat, that she would then spend like hours anxiety driving back to the house. Mm -hmm. She was going to be back the next day. Um, and then I didn't really want to talk about it with anybody else until mm -hmm. I could talk about it with my wife. Right. And so mm -hmm. I was, I was like left with this information of, I have a deadly disease I had just had two very close friends in close proximity of age to me who had been battling cancer and had lost that battle, right? So like super scary moment, um, left to deal with it completely on my own, right? Mm -hmm. And I ended up spending, I don't know how long, you know, kind of spinning and in fear and anxiety and depression um, that morning. And like at some point, like I decided okay, you know, I'm going to drag myself out of the house and I'm going to go for a walk. Uh, that's, I used to do a lot more running now, so I'll go for a walk. Mm -hmm. um, but there, where I was living in Portland, um, I would go down to the water and I would walk along the water. There's this really nice trail that you can take, you know, throughout the city. Um, and I ended up, you know, walking for several hours, I think that day, <laughs> lost track. Um, but, you know, at first I was just kind of like spinning in, in fear and terror. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And, and then I, I kind of like started thinking about all the people that I love in my life and thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, if I'm not here, do they know like how much mm -hmm. they mean to me? Like, have I told the people who are important to me that I love them and how much they mean to me and why, right? Mm -hmm. That that came up. And as I was thinking about that and I was like seeing these people's faces in my mind's eye and like reliving little bits of joy that we've experienced together, that kind of thing, that really brought me to this place of gratitude, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so it was, it wasn't that I had an intention of like, okay, I'm going to be grateful for my body. That was not mm -hmm. in my mind at all, but mm -hmm. I, I was led down this path by, you know, realizing like how grateful I am for the people in my life. And then mm -hmm. I was in such a desperate place that day that that little feeling of, of gratitude, it changed how I felt in my body mm -hmm. in a way that I was like, okay, I want to. I want to do more of that because it helped me not feel so awful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I made a decision. I was like on my walk and I was like, okay, I'm going to think of everything I can think of to be grateful for. And mm -hmm. I just walked and walked and walked. And like, I named like the, the biggest things, the, mo the really obvious things that were coming to my mind. And then like, I began to like name things that 
um, I really don't think about every day things that I take for granted. You know, like I remember that very clearly that it was a sunny day mm-hmm. in January in Portland, Oregon, which is almost always like gray and rainy, right? I remember being <laughs> grateful for the sun. And then I was like grateful for the, my eyesight to see the mm-hmm. sun you know, sparkling on the water, grateful for my legs that were helping me walk around the water. So like I began naming things that I was grateful for that I don't normally think about, right? That I don't normally expressly name gratitude for, but this practice like helped me get through that day. It helped me get through one of the most difficult, you know, scary times of my life where I was, where I was like, alone. And that had such a profound impact on me that, that, that then later, I think it was, you know, a couple weeks later that we had Mm -hmm. made this plan with my doctor about like what we're going to do. Here's, here's your doctors, here's your surgery date, all that kind of stuff. And I was making a plan to care for my body in all kinds of ways. Um, supplements that I was taking, um, my health routine, all this kind of stuff we were discussing. And I was thinking about that. And that's what led me to believe, to, to make this connection of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I've been sending hate to my whole body and mm-hmm. to my body my whole life. And remembering that walk of, of how it felt to, to express gratitude towards my body. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that I'd done that really um, <laughs> before. And so it was a pretty dramatic shift, right? For me. But that's a that's how I got there. I didn't I didn't like set out to have that realization. It just kind of happened, you know, in my in my attempt to deal with something really scary, essentially. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of times we try to understand things by thinking and thinking and thinking, but there is a difference when you have a direct experience. While you were sharing this moment in your life, I see you walking around a lake. And then I see how you start experiencing how feeling grateful and appreciating was a way to handle all the worries and fears that were coming with this diagnosis. Now, how did you build that as a practice, especially knowing that our mind doesn't take vacation and keeps going blah, 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 with the stories that many times narrow our life and shrink us? How did you continue to build this practice of gratitude? I mean... I have explored, you know, different uh, spiritual practices, different religious communities throughout my life. And I've, I've done a couple of like 10 day silent meditation retreats. And those were really informative to me, you know, that experience of just being there and being present Mm -hmm. while your mind just rambles and goes in all different directions. (laughs) Um, So having that awareness, I think is really interesting and can help. Um, Again, I am no, I am not perfect at this in any way, but it's the gratitude practice has been something that I have integrated in really small ways in my Mm -hmm. life. And it's not something that I remember to do every day. I definitely, uh, you know, I'm not that, that amazing of a human, but like I use it uh, honestly, I'll, I'll find myself maybe not on the worst day of my life, just on a day that's frustrating or on a day that's like yesterday, I had a day that was just hard and I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. And I just felt off all day. And, and it took me till the end of the day to realize like, oh, Hey, maybe I should 
have a moment of quiet and do my little mm-hmm. daily, daily gratitude practice, right? And it actually really helped, but I didn't remember to do it till the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something, it's like a tool that I have been able to utilize when I remember to do it. And it most often just helps me get through moments of, you know, I would call ordinary you know, stress and anxiety that we all experience throughout our days, right? Mm-hmm. And I often will pair that with going outside and being outside, you know, taking a walk around the block, just shake things up if you're feeling stuck at work or if you're having a bad day. I think that like moving your body and mm-hmm. being outside, if you can go to a park where there's some trees, there's actually like brain science about which is mm-hmm. crazy. Um, <laughs> but like, get outside if you can. And really, it doesn't take very long. It really, it, if you spend five, 10 minutes walking around the block, name as many things as you can think of to be grateful for around your walk around the block and then come mm-hmm. back. It's not like going to solve your problems, but it does like shift your, your, your like internal emotional state mm-hmm. so that whatever you're dealing with, you can just face it with like a, a better kind of emotional set point, like a different, like a cleaner slate, you know, like it's not going to address whatever is giving you that anxiety, but it does kind of shift internally. Um, and get, it gives me more strength to handle whatever's going on. You know? mm-hmm. I love what you're saying, because I think the idea here is that practicing gratitude is not going to make the pain go away. It's not mm-hmm. going to suppress the worry, but it helps you to actually manage in a way that it's more effective and more helpful. If I can ask a little bit more, and let me just be selfish here. (laughs) So when doing this podcast, my mind had many thoughts like, no one is going to listen to this. It's going to be bad. People won't get my accent. It will be awful. So if I were to practice a gratitude exercise, what would I do? What would you invite me to do? I love that. And I think I can relate to that because every time I do a painting, mm-hmm. I now know to expect it, but every time I'm, I'm painting, I have that. Even though I have all the success with painting, I still, every time I approach a new painting, I get somewhere in the middle of it and, and those voices say, tell me like, I'm never going to get it right. It's going to be wrong. Everybody's going to hate this one. It's really not going to work this time. So like, I can relate to the um, <laughs> Our minds get busy. <laughs> the most powerful thing that I have, I have done to, to combat those voices in my head mm-hmm. first to recognize them, right? Like that's the first step is to be like, Oh, it, you know, when you recognize that voice in your head, you take a little bit of its power away, right? By recognizing it and just noticing like, Oh, I hear this really negative mm-hmm. mean voice in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's step number one is mm-hmm. recognizing it. So you're not just automatically believing it. Right. That's right. So like the recognition of it allows you to step back from it. And then there's the, I will say like, I, I do kind of an acknowledgement of that voice and I'll be mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, you know, I just it, like in my own voice, like noticing it's there and then acknowledging it. And I like to name them. Yeah. So I call them my gremlins. I don't have <laughs> individual names for the gremlins. I just call them my gremlins because mm-hmm. they um, embody like how I visualize them, like mm-hmm. these mean little voices that are like rah, 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 at you. And so that, uh, again, allows me to take some of that power away from those voices. Um, mm-hmm. And those voices, they're telling you things 
that you've picked up somewhere along the way, but they're not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And so like being able to, to acknowledge them and name them kind of, yeah, it it takes you out of just accepting them. Right. And then my third thing is to come back Mm -hmm. to the thing that was hard, maybe another day. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, with my artwork, a lot of times I'll have two or three paintings going at once so that if I do get stuck in one area, I can keep the momentum that I have of like being in my studio, getting some work done and I'll move to a different one Mm -hmm. or I'll go for a walk. Right. And so like having a way to move forward that maybe, you know, maybe it's not going and doing the exact thing that you were doing that you're struggling with right at this moment. Uh, If you're struggling with, you know, some part of your podcast, there are many steps to putting, putting, putting together a podcast. There are many, you know, different kinds of work that you end up having to do. Like there's the interview Mm -hmm. itself, there's the reaching out to people, there's the editing. And so maybe if you're stuck with like, Ooh, I don't feel like I can reach out to people today. Maybe you work on some editing or maybe you work on some tutorial, you know, so like keeping your energy moving, but like move into, you know, one of the other things that you're doing. And, and there are different parts of my painting process. Like the color part mm-hmm. is very different than the black and white part, which is very different than the sky part. And so like moving to a different part of what I'm doing helps me not get defeated by those negative messages and come back mm-hmm. to the thing that was hard, maybe another day or even in a, in an hour. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's helpful, but <laughs> it's super helpful. I love how you break it down into different steps. Let me just recap a little bit. One is recognizing these voices and acknowledging them. And I love the idea of naming them. You have your gremlins. I have my cranky Patricia, judge, judge Patricia. Um, yeah. And I love what you say that you intentionally choose something to do. It can be part of the process, but in that way, you keep yourself moving. All the steps are valuable. Hundreds of times when we have these negative stories, we play it safe by not doing anything. So I love what you say. Let's keep moving with intention. Now, if I can ask a little bit more, if it's okay, what happens when there is a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear? Will you make any modification in your gratitude practice? So giving yourself a break a little bit and see, you know, saying like, oh, why do I feel this way? And then getting down on yourself and going into another spiral Mm -hmm. instead being like, you know what? We are living through extraordinary times. You know, I think that breaking things down into, into small increments of things that are tangible that you can do, um, you know, maybe it's, maybe you don't have the energy to go back to whatever it is that's, that's giving you that anxiety. Maybe what Mm -hmm. you do is acknowledge that self-care is a radical act. Um, Mm -hmm. and that, you know, maybe what you really need is a bubble bath and to read a book. Um, (laughs) maybe what you need is to go for a run. Maybe what you need is to, you know, do something for yourself that makes you feel good, that, um, can help you just take care of you before you go back to whatever this thing is that's causing you more anxiety than we're already dealing with, right? So there are times in my life where, where I have had, you know, really high pressure, high stakes things. Um, I, you know, the Netflix video that you mentioned is one yeah. of those things like that was completely out of my wheelhouse. The, the thing that they had asked me to do, I had never done before. 
um, do you mind sharing a little so bit? High. Yeah, yeah. The Netflix found me on Instagram and they reached out to me and said, Hey, we're doing this project. We want you to be a part of it. Um, I got on the phone call with them and then they told me what they wanted. And I was like, I can't do that. You need to hire a speed painter. You know, like mm. it takes me months to create my paintings. You want me to paint something in a half an hour? <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't do that. And they were like, well, we really want you. I actually gave them names of people that. <laughs> wow. I, did that, that I turned God. it down. <laughs> yeah, I turned it down because I didn't think I could do it. And then I talked mm. to my wife. Um, about it. And she was like, are you crazy? Uh, (laughs) Right now. (laughs) Thankfully, I have a wife who's smarter than me. Uh, She made me call them back. And so I called them back and I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. They, the other thing is that they called me on a Tuesday and they wanted me in LA the following Tuesday. Like I had a week and I was like, okay, let's break it down. Right. Mm -hmm. I will, I'm going to do a test in my studio and I'm going to just see, I'm going to send you a picture of what I can do in a half an hour. Um, (laughs) And I almost threw up when I sent it to them because I was so nervous about what they would Mm, say. Just like, Oh my God, I was a wreck. Um, But they sent back on a text right away and we're like, we love it. Dude, you know, this is great. And so I had started with a really small painting Um, And what they wanted me to do was like four feet by five feet paintings, like big paintings. And so I started with a really small one. I did another test that was a little bit bigger. And then I did another test that was on the size that they wanted it. Mm -hmm. And over the course of my, you know, studio tests, basically what I ended up doing was telling them like, look, a half an hour is not enough time. You have to give me 45 minutes. And I ended up creating a playlist, um, Wow. songs that was exactly 45 minutes long and practicing in my studio with that playlist mm-hmm. so that when I was on set under these like extraordinarily you know high pressure you yeah. know like there's no redo it's just get it done I'm also like wow. meeting people who are definitely like I look up to and you know actresses and you know that I had been like watching their programs and you know that that nervousness was there and it was so it was in fact so high mm-hmm. that I just kind of block it out and 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 the music helped me I had their interview in one ear so I could hear them as they were talking and then I had my music in the other ear so I kind of knew where I was like having little little steps of like ha- w- things that can help you know uh, and familiarize yourself. So like doing the tests helped me. Um, it also informed me on like what I was capable of doing and, and therefore I could communicate to them, like, you've got to make the time longer, mm-hmm. but also it gave me, um, a sense of like a more of a grounded sense while I was painting to be able to know where I was. And so I think if you're in a really high stakes situation, again, I would go to that, like breaking it down, into something tangible like what are the what are the tangible things that you can do so that it isn't so overwhelming like I think a lot of times we hear those negative voices and we're already stressed we're already filled with anxiety and then the negative voices come in and we just get completely overwhelmed and we shut down right Mm -hmm. the breaking it down into little little increments helps you move forward without looking at the whole, we got to get all the way up the ladder. Just take, you know, that first rung of the ladder. What is the the easiest thing I can do? Uh, and then kind of moving forward from there. And that 
also giving yourself if there is something that can kind of comfort you or help ground you like the music for me um, that's also helpful too it's absolutely beautiful as i said at the beginning it's another moment that captures the courage from telling Netflix, no, I'm not going to do it. I cannot do this. Having this panic reaction, <laughs> talking to your wife, you're like, am I crazy? I love how you took micro steps. Let's try to do half hour. Let's try to do this size of painting. And you also add some music, something that was nourishing for you in the moment. So I think it really capitalizes the shift from saying, I cannot do this to make it happen, but also um, making it doable. So here is my last question. If you were to have a cup of coffee with any person you want, who will that be and why? Oh, that is hard. <laughs> so many incredible people who I follow, who I listen to, who are helping me get through this crazy year of ours. One of those is Brene Brown's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I just admire her work so much and I admire the way in which she approaches really difficult subjects, but she does it with, um, with some humor and some levity and and a lot of real talk and a lot of love, you know, and hope in there. Which we need right now. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me and sharing your wisdom. And I hope we can chat again soon. I love it. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingwithsafe.zone. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing with safe actions. See you soon!